Hey, my name is Ronnie. I am one of the pastors here at Doxa Church, and I help lead Salt Company. You can grab your Bibles now and go to John chapter 11. And yeah, as, as Jesse said, I, I mean, one of, the, one of the great roles and joys of a pastor is to help all of us just like live our life to the fullest with God, but it's also to prepare us for our death, prepare us for suffering. And, and tonight is a night like that, and it's just, that's the text that we've come upon. We're in a series here at Salt Company called Conversations with Jesus, looking at the Gospel of John. Okay, so John 11 tonight, as I said, looking at the Gospel of John, and basically what's been happening in this series is we're seeing Jesus have conversations with like all different types of people, and basically just showing off that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Okay, in all these different types of ways. And tonight, we're going to see Jesus interact with a group of people that is suffering. Okay, and suffering is just an inevitable reality of life. One of the, the best memory, or some of the best memories of my childhood growing up in Michigan is that my family and I, we would go up north to northern Michigan to our condo, to our cabin up on the lake. And tons of great memories there, just like you know, just the classic, like going out on the lake all day, eating tons of great food, coming up with all my cousins. And so when I think about my, my childhood memories going up there, a ton of them were good, except for there was this one uh, year that we went up my sophomore year in high school and heading up just full of anticipation, ready for a great week. You know, it's like a four hour ride from the Detroit area up to, to get up there. And we, we pull in and we're just starting to unpack our bags. We get into the condo and I go into my room that me and my brother share. And we're kind of just starting to unpack our stuff, full of excitement, you know, ready to go. And I just remember that as I was, I was sitting there talking to my brother, all of a sudden I hear the, the door kind of slam open and I hear just like something in the air that doesn't sound right. And my aunt runs in and I just hear her screaming. And I couldn't quite make out what she was saying at first, but through the screams and then what I learned were tears, I just hear her saying, my dad is dead. So my grandpa, just my dad is dead, he's dead, screaming, crying. And it's one of those just kind of time standstill moments where you're one minute, you're thinking about like how fast can we get on the boat to the next minute, you're just kind of paralyzed sitting there and then honestly it was kind of a blur from there because I remember just being in the car and we just drove four hours up to the condo and all of a sudden we're, we're just kind of getting back into the car and we don't know all of what happened yet. He was on a fishing trip and got in a car accident and was just gone. And I just remember sitting like in the back seat, my parents driving the car and, and just like complete silence for four hours on the way back home. And if you've experienced anything like this, it was like, in some ways it felt like it took 20 minutes, in other ways it felt like it was an eternity of just driving back. And I remember sitting in my bed that night, I remember um, was taking the week off of high school football, but ended up just kind of going back to workouts the next morning. I remember going to the funeral, but more than anything, I just remember that, that sound of my aunt just running in, screaming, just the sound of when suffering breaks into your story, into your world. You know, and, and we could all share kind of our own version of, of that story, no matter how small or how great, of what it was like when suffering broke into your life. And when suffering comes, 
when we face it, whether it's just kind of mild and we're kind of grinding it out or it's something really sudden like what I went through, we have some different options. Like we can deny it, right? And just try to not deal with it. We can try to distract ourselves from it. We can try to draw up the strength and defeat it ourselves. But in the end, suffering does always end up destroying us, even if it means just death. It's inevitable in our lives. We all have to figure out how we're going to face it, how we're gonna deal with it, how we're gonna endure it. And listen, as a Christian, does not mean you're gonna not face suffering. In the story tonight that we're gonna see with Jesus, it's actually uh, two of his closest followers, Mary and Martha, that come upon this time of suffering. They're totally sold out for Jesus. Martha and Mary were these ones that kind of poured out this really famous or expensive ointment on his uh, feet and on his hair, and it was this moment of like, we are totally devoted to you, Jesus. And it's these two women that have their whole lives turned upside down when their brother Lazarus falls ill and he dies. So their devotion to Jesus did not spare them from suffering. But as we open our Bibles to John 11, what we're going to see tonight, this sermon, this message, it's about the greatness of Jesus Christ for people who suffer. Okay, in John 11, he's going to walk into a situation of deep human suffering, the death of one of his friends, and he's going to show us his glory through it. Like he's been doing again and again in the Gospel of John, he's going to say, I am the Savior for suffering people. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 looks forward to the type of man, the type of Savior that Jesus would be, and it says this about him. It says, he will be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. This is Jesus. And so my goal for tonight in John 11 is that in our suffering, we would be able to say that Isaiah 53 verse, that in your life, in your suffering, whether that's now or that's down the road, you will be able to say, surely Jesus Christ has borne my griefs and he has carried my sorrows. He's carried me through my sorrows. And so let's open it now. And it's a long story. It's 53 verses. I'm going to read the whole thing for us first. And then we're basically going to go back in and I want to show us three aspects of who Jesus is for us. Who Jesus is for suffering people. John chapter 11. So now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters, they sent to him saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered them, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus, he had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest 
in sleep, so they don't, they don't understand him. Jesus clears it up in verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, he said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Okay, we'll keep going in a second, but clearly at this point we see that, you know, Jesus hasn't been there, but he knows already that Lazarus has died. And actually what we're able to tell so far is that Jesus could have gotten there sooner to stop it. So it's a little little puzzling as to why that, that happened. Verse 17. So now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany, it was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary, she remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now when she said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus, he'd not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to Jesus and saw where he was, she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, and here she says the same thing that her sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And now look at the heart of Jesus as he turns towards his dear friend. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly Troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He wept. So the Jews, they're looking at this and they say, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he have opened up the eyes of the blind man and also kept this man from dying? Again, that's the tension of this passage is that as Jesus sits here, crying over the suffering. And as he's already said this thing about I am the resurrection and the life, the question lingers, well then why did you let him die? Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
and the man who had died came out. That doesn't happen, right? You don't see that sentence like happening in our day. That's not supposed to happen. The man who had died came out at the sound of the voice of Jesus. His hand and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, or I said to them, unbind him and let them go. Now here's kind of just the after event that happens, then we're gonna dive back into the passage. If you look at verse 45, look at the resolve. If you remember at the beginning of the story, his disciples said, Jesus, we shouldn't go do this because there's people there that want to kill you. And he said, we're going. Well, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Jesus would die. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And here's the key verse. Here's the key outcome of this story, the result in Jesus' own life, verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Okay, take a deep breath. Now on to the sermon. So you saw in verse 45 that it said many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and seen what he did believed in him. Okay, in this moment of suffering, the thing that Jesus was trying to do and the thing that John, the author, is trying to do and therefore the thing that I need to try to do is help us to see Jesus in such a way that when we are suffering, we will believe in him. Okay, there are three aspects of this savior that I want us to see tonight, to see and believe and know for when we suffer. Three things about his greatness, and the first one is this, we need to see the greatness of his power over suffering. Just the the sheer greatness of his power. Okay, and this is the most obvious one, right? It's the thing that initially jumps out to us out of the story. Jesus raises a dead man back to life. Okay, if you missed it, let me just remind you again of some of the authority that Jesus is displaying in this story over suffering and over its worst and final form, death. Verse four, this illness does not lead to death. Just matter of fact, no doctor gets to say that. Jesus, though, just says, no. Like this one, this illness, it's not gonna lead to death. Because our friend Lazarus, he's, he's fallen asleep, but, but me, what I'm gonna go do is I'm gonna go and awaken him. Just, yep, just like that. Just matter of fact. He makes this audacious statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, not my teaching, not in something that I know, but I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And some of my favorites, towards the end of the story, he just says, take away that stone, Lazarus, come out, 
unbind him and just let him go. Jesus' words seem to have this power over death itself to just create new life. And then verse 44, my favorite, the dead man, the man who had died, he comes out. Do you see the greatness of Jesus Christ and his power over suffering? Did any of you guys see the, the final Avengers movie, Endgame, where like the whole, the whole movie, the whole like two and a half hours or whatever it is, is like, I think like half the world's population has died. And then I might be mixing my movies up here, but there's like some stones they gotta find and it's gotta go in a ring. And like there's this whole big like epic adventure where they're trying to like, like uh, Iron Man's like leading the crew and they're like trying to find all, all these things so that they can bring their people back to life. And it's really complicated and there's tons of drama. It makes for a great movie, right? They gotta like travel back in time and through space. Jesus doesn't have to do any of that, right? Jesus just cuts straight to the chase and he just starts speaking and he says, yeah, this illness is not going to lead to death. No mission, no time travel, no space travel, no rings, no nothing, he just does it. He has an utterly unique power over suffering. And in this story, in this reality, in this historical moment, he's intentionally showing us this power that he has over suffering. That's what he said he came to do in verse four. He says, this is gonna be for the glory of God so that the Son of God will be glorified in it. And he could have prevented Lazarus from dying, but he didn't. Because he wanted to go and use this as an opportunity to show off his glory and his power by raising him from the dead. And so for us, when we suffer, we need to believe this. We need to believe that Jesus has the power to deliver us. He can resurrect and bring what is dead to life, whatever area of life that might be, whether that's actually like a physical illness type thing or just something that's gone wrong in your story. The man who died came out. I remember with some good friends of mine, just their, their marriage was dead. It was on life support. Like it looked like it had, things had gone too far and there was no coming back from it. I remember sitting on some, sitting with them in person and over phone calls over the course of months just being like this. The only hope for this is that it would be literally resurrected. And I remember sitting in the parking lot in the car with my friend and just, just praying with them, praying these, these desperate prayers of just kind of like you're alone in your car feeling like there is actually nothing I can do here. Like, especially me, it's kind of the outside party. There's nothing I can do here to, to bring about the type of reconciliation and healing that needs to happen. And lo and behold, by the power of Jesus, through his gospel, through his word being spoken into their marriage over time, that marriage got resurrected, raised back to life. Some of you are in a spot where maybe it's not suffering, but you're just enslaved to sin in a way that you feel so constricted, basically helpless. You need to believe, you need to know, you need to call Jesus on this, that he is the one who can say unbind him, unbind her, and let her go with the power of his voice. But now let's be honest, sometimes he doesn't deliver us. Honestly, a lot of times he doesn't deliver us. Sometimes he shows up like too late or it seems like he hasn't shown up at all. In verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus, he'd already been in the tomb for four days. 
he was too late. And Mary and Martha, they both say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the reality of suffering, isn't it? Sometimes it's our suffering, it lasts years. Sometimes it doesn't end. But from this story, I want you to know this. Jesus does always show up. Jesus always shows up. But sometimes it's not to end our suffering, but help us endure in our suffering. Sometimes he shows up and he carries us, he holds us, he helps us endure. And some of you are in something like this right now where it's not like a, an acute moment, but it's just like a prolonged pain, whether it's somebody is sick, there's a relational strain with you or somebody around you, there's, you're, you're struggling and battling with depression and you can't figure out like where it's coming from or if it's what you even have to do with it. And the question is, Jesus, like what are you doing in my suffering right now? What is, what is he doing? What is he doing? And from this text, what I want you to know is that he is crying with you. He is crying with you. And as amazing as it is to hear Jesus, his voice just shouting for Lazarus to rise from the dead, the sound of him weeping is actually probably more amazing. And that's the second thing that we need to see about Jesus tonight, the greatness of his love for sufferers the greatness of his love. So wrap your mind around this, right? Like Jesus, he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. That was the whole plan. He actually let him die so that he could do it, and yet he still weeps. Why? Why would he do that? Why in that moment where he knows what is gonna happen, he's, he's sitting there with Mary and Martha and all these, these people, he knows he's gonna rise, raise him from the dead. He looks at the tomb and he, he still weeps. And it's because of this, guys, it's because he loves people. He loves people and he hates to see them suffering. This is his heart. He can't help his heart just expressing itself for what it really is. He loves us. He hates what hurts us. That's why he hates our sin and he hates suffering, which is a result of sin. All throughout the story, they say, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and his, her sister and Lazarus. Jesus wept and the Jews said this. What did they say? See how he loved him. See how he loved him. And so for you and your suffering tonight, I want you to know that Jesus is not oblivious to your suffering. He is agonizing over it with you. He's not aloof. He's not oblivious. He is in agony. He is in pain. Verse 32 says, now when Mary came to see where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus heard that in her voice. And when he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come to her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was in agony. And so he said to them, I imagine with like a quiver in his voice, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He is not oblivious to your pain. He is in agony over it. And he's also not indifferent to your suffering. He's angry about it. There's an element of Jesus in this story where he's, he's 
sad and he's in pain and he's weeping, but there's also an element of anger of a, like a, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the world that I created. This is a result of sin. This is not how it's supposed to be. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb and he looks at that tomb, that symbol of death, that cave, a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away that stone. A mixture of sadness for the way that his people are hurting, but anger over the fact that suffering has broken into this world. And so what do we do when we suffer and it doesn't seem to be going away, when we find ourselves in in their situation? We pray to the God who cries with us. If you're in that spot, where you've asked God to deliver you from whatever it is and it just doesn't seem to happen. He hasn't showed up yet. You're in the season of waiting and crying out. What you do is you pray to the God who cries with us. And this is where we get a great opportunity tonight to learn from two godly women, two heroes of the Bible, Mary and Martha. And they show us the incredible strength of what it's like to pray to God in the midst of their suffering. So I just want to give you a few things tonight. I, want to, I think I've got seven things of this is what prayer is. This is how we pray to the God who cries with us. First, we see that prayer is, it's calling for Jesus in our suffering. It says the sisters, they sent to him. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. This is to be our instinct in pain is to go to Jesus. This is prayer. Prayer is also waiting on Jesus, waiting for him. Now, when Jesus had come, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, and sometimes this is what it's like. We have to sit in our suffering and we wait, but that doesn't mean he's not coming. It doesn't mean he's not coming. And when he does, prayer is responding to Jesus. Remember when when Martha, she'd already met with him because she ran to him, and she comes back and she tells Mary, hey, the teacher is calling for you. The teacher's calling for you. He wants you to respond to him. And in your suffering right now, maybe I could be Martha for you tonight, the teacher, Jesus is calling for you. The friend of sinners and sufferers, he wants to be with you in this. Prayer, it's it's also grieving with Jesus. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she she fell at his feet, right? And sometimes that's, that's like literally, that's the only step you need to take in your pain is to fall at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can pray a prayer like that. You can express your grief like that to God. You can pray things that you're not even sure if it's theologically correct, but you just know that Jesus is listening to you. You can ask questions of God. You can grieve. You can go through the grieving process, not alone in your dorm room, but with the God who loves you. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, when he saw her heart breaking and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and he wept. It's okay if your prayer sometimes sounds like weeping. If you can't even make out the words, Jesus joins you in that. Prayer is, is being honest with Jesus about what's really inside of you. 
Jesus said, take away the stone. And, and Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Just pure, blunt honesty, right? This too is prayer. It's okay if your experience of suffering has actually made you a little bit cynical and you're doubting his power. It's okay if you don't understand or you can't see through your tears what God is actually doing. Jesus can handle that. He can handle it. Bring that to him too. Prayer, it's, it's hoping in Jesus. It moves to this place of hope. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. And so through our waiting, through our tears, through our honesty, we see Jesus and we believe that he is who he says he is and we have hope. And then last, prayer is communal. It's easy to miss in this story, but there's actually all kinds of people here. It's a a community grief project, and they're praying together to Jesus. It says many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. Sometimes it's the best thing that you could do. So just be present for each other. Martha, she went and called her sister Mary in private, saying, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. Sometimes we need a friend that maybe can hear the voice of God or discern what God is doing better than we can to come into our story and just help us bring us to Jesus. And so when suffering comes into your life, my question for you tonight is, will you have people around you who can cry with you, who can pray with you? If you don't, one of the things you signed up for when you became a Christian is to be that type of person for someone. It's one of the most basic things that it means to be in a church is to be that type of person for one another. Prayer is communal. And so when we pray to Jesus in our suffering, when we weep with him, here's a key distinction. He doesn't weep with us just because he feels bad for our pain. And he does. But Jesus actually weeps with us because he feels our pain as his own. He feels it as his own pain. And at the very beginning of the story, in verse 8, his disciples, they had warned him not to go to Bethany because there were people there who wanted to kill him. And were they right? They were right. Verse 53, it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And here's the thing, Jesus planned it to be this way. And this is the last thing that we need to see about Jesus tonight, the greatness of his own suffering. Okay, the greatness of his power over suffering, the greatness of his love for sufferers, but also the greatness of Jesus' own suffering. Okay, one of the questions that people ask of Jesus in this event is, hey, why did you let Lazarus die when you could have saved him? Why did you let your friends suffer so much when you could have prevented it? And basically in our day, it's like this question of if you're powerful and you're loving, then why is there still so much suffering? Why don't you just end this? Why? And the question about this problem of pain and suffering, it's actually led a lot of people to not believe in God. 
But then you read this story, you open up the Bible, you look at John 11 and you see this man. You see Jesus weeping. You see him taking intentional steps, yet another intentional step in the Gospel of John towards his own death, towards his own suffering. In a couple weeks, we will see Jesus, we will see God himself literally hanging on a cross, suffering himself. And we know that the answer to that question is not because he doesn't love us, and it's not because he doesn't hate sin and suffering. Look at what theologian John Stott says about Jesus' own suffering on the cross. He says, I could never myself believe in a God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one that Friedrich Nietzsche ridiculed as the God on the cross. But listen to this, in the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and I stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while I have had to turn away and in my imagination I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross nails through hands and feet back lacerated limbs wrenched brow bleeding from thorn pricks mouth dry and intolerably thirsty plunged into god forsaken darkness that is the god for me he laid aside his immunity to pain he entered our world of flesh and blood tears and death salt company he suffered for us this next line is so helpful he says our sufferings become more manageable in light of his yes there is still a large question mark about human suffering but over it we boldly stamp another mark the cross that symbolizes divine suffering And so what we're seeing in John is that Jesus, he came from heaven to earth to suffer. This is what he came to do. And what we see at the cross is that Jesus, he suffers alone all by himself so that we will not have to suffer alone all by ourselves. I mean, do you just feel that in this story? The presence of Jesus for suffering people. The greatness of Jesus Christ for us when we suffer. Jesus knows exactly what we're going through and actually much worse. Remember Isaiah 53 at the beginning of the message. It says of Jesus that surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Our God is a God who suffers with us and for us. With us and for us. He's been long suffering since the creation of the world, the pain of being betrayed by the very people that he created and loved, of seeing his, his universe wrecked by our choice to sin. To see the self-inflicted wound of our sin lead to the suffering of this world, but then on the cross, he suffers the pain of forgiving us for it. 
He takes it upon himself. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And when we see him, when we see him in this story, in this text, when we see the greatness of his own suffering, we have strength to endure ours. Stott says our suffering becomes more manageable in light of his. There's basically two things that we need in order to endure suffering in life. Solidarity and hope. Solidarity. We need somebody who knows what we're going through. That's why sometimes it's just so much more helpful for somebody to not try to fix it, but to just be with us, just to hear us out, just to understand us, just simply be there and cry and say, I know, and there is no better friend than Jesus to do this with you. No better friend for sufferers. He shows solidarity. But we also need hope. We don't need to know that, we need to know that eventually one day, like all of our tears will be wiped away and everything sad will come untrue. And this is also why Jesus came. Listen, he didn't come to be like a helpless victim of suffering and death. He actually came to defeat it to exercise his power over it. Listen to how the author of Hebrews talks about this. He says, since therefore the children, that's human beings, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's solidarity. He came down to suffer with us in solidarity, but he did this that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is hope. He came to deliver us. Jesus' death defeated death. His death defeated death. And, and what do you think as Jesus approaches this tomb, right, in verse 38? I'm sure some of you guys notice this. What do you think he's thinking about when he looks at this tomb, you know, with this stone that's rolled in front of it? It says he's deeply moved again as he comes to the tomb and it was a cave and there was a stone against it. What do you think Jesus is so deeply moved about? What do you think he's thinking about? What do you think he's imagining? He's so angry that death is a part of the human story and he is resolving in that moment to defeat it, to deliver his people from it. And that's exactly what he would do when he eventually went in a cave just like that. His suffering was not only about solidarity, but hope. The hope of defeating death and ushering in the possibility of resurrection. This is where in verse 25 he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one. I am the one who can defeat death, who can put an end to suffering. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, he shall never die. The greatness of his suffering is that it led to a resurrection. For anyone who believes in him, though we die, we live now and forever. And so in this life, all of us, right, we're going to suffer and we will eventually die. But what Jesus is saying, what he's revealing is that if we know him, our life will follow the pattern of his. Death, resurrection, suffering, glory. He didn't come to offer us temporary relief for our pain, but resurrection life. This is the great hope for suffering people, that one day every tear 
will be wiped away, that the suffering and the death, it's not the end of our story, but actually the beginning. How crazy is that? Suffering and death, not the end, the beginning. C.S. Lewis was a theologian who lost his wife to cancer, and as he reflected on it, he says, you know, one day, we're going to wake up from this nightmare into an everlasting, glorious new day. And heaven, once attained, it's actually going to work backwards and turn every agony into a glory. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But until that day comes, right? Until that day comes, we still have pain. We still have tears. But Saul Company, we have a savior. A friend of sinners and sufferers who will walk with us in solidarity every step of the way toward that future glory, toward that future hope, through our suffering and to the glory. That is a promise from him for you tonight. Let's enter in and pray to him together and let's respond in worship. Jesus, God, just in even in silence for a moment, we just recognize that you are here. God, that even in our, our waiting for you and our enduring of the, the pain of this life, God, or we know and we believe that you always do come. God, sometimes to end our suffering in a, in a crazy deliverance, sometimes to help us endure. But Jesus, we ask you tonight, help us to believe and trust in your heart for us, God, in your great love for us. Jesus, thank you for weeping with us. Thank you for showing solidarity with us. God, and in this life, we, we long to be people that suffer well, that endure well, and that live for the future hope of glory to come. But God, tonight we even just say, God, help us to take another step. Jesus, be near to us. Jesus, as we sing to you, would we just experience the very real power of what it's like for you to sing over us and be with us? Jesus, we turn to you now.